Welcome to another edition of the Urantia Radio Podcast. My name is Jim Watkins, longtime reader and student of the Urantia book. And today we're going to talk about life on other planets, specifically about non-breathers and a new scientific theory that is being bantered about in the scientific community that shucks us Urantia book readers have already known about for almost 100 years. So we'll get to that in just a moment, plus listener mail, feedback, and an update on some of our guests and what they're up to when we continue on the Urantia Radio podcast. Space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the starship Enterprise. It's five-year mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilizations, to boldly go where no man has gone before. All right, welcome to the Arantia Radio Podcast. How many of us remember growing up watching this, sitting on our backs with our heads behind our shoulders, lying on flat in front of our nine-inch black and white or sometimes color TV, I was sitting there thinking about life on other planets and watching Jim Kirk and, and uh, of course, Spock and Dr. McCoy have at it with uh, their five-year mission. And, you know, I'm almost positive that that either opened my mind to the idea of life in the universe or, or maybe it was because I was drawn to it because it's, it's a truth, which is always a possibility because many people have said that the Arantia book just sort of confirmed what they uh, suspected was going on in the universe anyway, right? So right now there is a big uh, big theory out that suggests that there might be alien life in our universe or in our solar system and that it is possible that a long time ago when our sun was young that there was some sort of gravitational pull going on between the mass of our sun and some other mass that would have allowed for the conditions to be ripe where we would grab some what they call rogue planets that are just sort of these rocky uh, spheres that are traveling sort of unerringly through space until some mass like our sun or another sun could have that gravitational pull, the event horizon or whatever. Anyway, so um, I think it's interesting. We'll get into that. I do want to share a couple of updates. First of all, Teresa Marks. She was our uh, last guest, and she came on and talked a lot about her spirit journey. We loved having her on, and she mentioned a website. So I want to get that website to you uh, because I promised I would. So she's up with that. Let me go see if I can find it. also want to thank all the folks for getting back to me on my, my first attempt at giving a book review of the Arantia book. I, I was inspired to do it. Another Arantia book reader had done it as well. And I was inspired to do it just because of because, you know, uh, people that know nothing about the Arantia book might have heard about it, go on, they look for a podcast, they run into mine, and there you go. And in 10 minutes, 15 minutes, there's one guy's summation of pretty much what the Arantia book is all about. And I hope it was entertaining. It was fun for me to do uh, after 40 years trying to put it all together. Not an easy task, but I enjoyed it. And uh, I really liked it. I'm glad uh, a few of my listeners wrote back and said thanks. Uh, so Teresa Marks, her website, she's the one that came up with the 
this the the the, the spiritual bill of rights that we talked about, how people are entitled to the right to have faith and 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 you know it was just a real good interview and I enjoyed talking to her. Her website now is called spiritual b o r dot org spiritual b o r dot org and she's also starting up a spiritual freedom channel and she's got a three part series along with videos up and you can look for that on YouTube. Just type in spiritual freedom. Or Teresa Marks. So there you go. Also, the Center for Unity, making great progress behind the scenes, all kinds of good events. The Discover Jesus app or website is up, and I promised that I would promote it because I think it's a wonderful way for people in a non-sectarian or non-denominational way to approach Jesus from the Urantia perspective because there's, as you know, so much more to to know in the, in the in the Jesus papers, and now they're bringing it to life through uh, the contributions of so many wonderful people. Put a lot of time and effort into making the, the discoverjesus.com app. Go see it. Go online. Don't do it on your phone. Don't do it on a tablet, but do it on a laptop or a desktop, and, and have fun with it. It'll blow you away. You, you might even start crying. I'm not, I'm not joking. And we want to thank the folks over at Center for Unity. And they're always looking for contributions, uh, both labor and financial. So centerforunity.org is the website center. Oh, by the way, it's thecenterforunity.org. Thecenterforunity.org. You'll find it. All right. So what do we, how can we address this issue? Well, on life on other planets. One of the great revelatory exposés that the Urantia book gives us is it tells us that there is life everywhere, that in our solar system there are a number of planets that have the ability to have life, but ours obviously was the best suited. But there are, there are life forms that can exist on a planet closer to the Mars kind of atmosphere, which they call the sub-breathers, and then there are types of evolutionary life that can evolve on planets that perhaps are more akin to like a Venus with a heavier atmosphere, and they would be called super breathers. Well, there's also a group which only comprises about 1%, what they say, about 1% of all the total evolutionary life forms that are called the non-breathers. Non-breathers. That means that they live in an environment where they don't have an atmosphere. So they have to process uh, the energy or whatever mechanisms that are needed to keep their bodies going, just like we breathe. We're constantly breathing. We're constantly exchanging uh, whatever the process is. The oxygen is, is, is being carried out of our blood system. And, you know, I don't want to get it wrong, so I don't want to go into detail. But needless to say, we are the average mid-breather types. That's according to the Urantia book. So it's a revelation in that sense that it's telling us something that we can either choose to believe or not. But with all of the information that's coming about how many potential life worlds there are, we're leaning now towards the science is heading us in the direction where it is inevitable, if it's true, and I believe it's true, that there is life out there and plenty of it. What makes this particular theory kind of crazy is it it, it, it uh, brings in two concepts that the Urantia book 
has already introduced us to. Uh, the first being that there's a type of life that could exist without a normal atmosphere. And they also point out that such a life form actually exists not too far from us. Let me read the quote here for you, if I can find it. Uh, and it's pretty wild. And it's at the end of paper 483. Uh, and they're describing life on the worlds of non-breathers is radically different from the way it is on our world. They say the non-breathers do not eat food or drink water as do your rancher races. The reactions of the nervous system, the heat regulating mechanisms, and the metabolism of these specialized peoples are radically different from such functions of your rancher mortals. Almost every act of living, aside from reproduction, differs and the methods of procreation are somewhat different Now you can speculate all you want on that one but I think at the end of the day it probably means that even non-breathers are binary to you know male and female need each other to reproduce but outside of that everything else about their life is completely different and they go on to write they, they write on the non-breathing worlds the animal species are radically unlike those found on the atmospheric planets. The non-breathing plan of life varies from the technique of existence on an atmospheric world. Even in survival, their peoples are different, being candidates only for spirit fusion and not son uh, or father fusion like we are. Nevertheless, these beings enjoy life and carry forward the activities of the realm with the same relative trials and joys that are experienced by the mortals living on atmospheric worlds. In mind and character, the non-breathers do not differ from other mortal types. <clears throat> and then it concludes in paper 49, section 3, 6, you would be more than interested in the planetary conduct of this type of mortal because such a race of beings inhabits a sphere in close proximity to Urantia. Now, they, I don't think that they would say that uh, without sort of the assumption close enough for us to discover. That, that's, that's the interesting point of this. If there is a life form that is close to us and it's in close proximity and we're now at the age where we're sending out all these satellites and high-tech gear and James Webb telescopes and all these things that have been floating around, you know, it stands to reason that at some point we're probably going to run into life, probably accidentally. Uh, and it'll change our entire perception of, of reality in many ways. And this might be the, the incident that happens. So the article that I found, which you would find if you were on the messengertech.com or simply the messenger.com, reads, wild new theories suggest an alien planet might have invaded our solar system. The sun would have lassoed this rogue planet when the solar system was young. Now, the Urantia book says that there were two, there was a black hole, and it was passing through in close proximity to us. And it was during a period of our young solar life where it was pulsating and tremendously expanding and contracting. And during one of the periods where our sun was pulsating at its greatest, this black hole sort of passed through, and it's, the, the gravity pull actually did tear off quite a bit uh, of the sun. And the result of that is our solar system. The Urantia book also says there are 12 planets 
what I'm trying to make a point here is that when you think about the fact that they're acknowledging that in our son's early life, it could have attracted materials from elsewhere. Now, the Urantia book actually says the opposite happened. A, a force of gravitation was moving through in close proximity, pulled off a bunch of material, and that material ended up forming our solar system, essentially. They say that the retrograde motion of some of our planets and satellites are proof of this one-time passing system Angona, the dark matter that pulled the material from the sun. But within each of these planets, like Jupiter and Saturn and Uranus, are sub-satellites. And those satellites could contain enough of the ingredients where the life carriers might initiate life on those worlds, if the conditions are right. And that's what I think happened. I think that it's not uncommon for solar system to have more than one. I think it's like 25% of all, our, all the solar systems have two. And usually it's more common for a planet that produces life to be a subsatellite of a larger orb like a Jupiter where it can get light and heat from two different sources. Now, the way they describe the, the radical non-breather world is not unlike what they describe in this case when they say there might be more planets out there. So here's what they write. They write that the possibility there are more than eight planets in their solar system has long been a subject of interest among astronomers. astronomers. Several dwarf planets, including Pluto, are known to exist in the outer regions of their solar system in an area known as the Kuiper Belt. But because of how vast the area of space is, and because uh, it may the Cooper Belt, uh, many Cooper Belt objects discovered so far seem to have odd or orbits. Many theories suggest the belt is hiding a planet similarly sized to Neptune, known as Planet Nine or Planet X. In this new paper, Princeton astrophysicist Amir Siraj theorizes a potential planet very different from this hypothetical planet X is much smaller, somewhere between the size of Earth and Mars, and like Earth, would be rocky. At the core of Siraj's argument is the calculation of the total mass of planets in space and how many of that mass is taken up by rogue planets untethered to any stars, a phenomenon that is known to occur. At least 70 rogue planets have been confirmed and some studies even estimate that rogue planets may actually outnumber stars in the Milky Way. Given their frequency, Siraj employs some rather complex math to theorize that in the early formation of our solar system, it is highly likely that such a planet wandering freely in space would have been captured by the sun's pull. So science astronomy making a claim here that it is possible that there are larger Earth-like planets out there beyond our Kuiper belt, and it, but they're still being held in the gravity hold of our solar system. That would create a condition where a world of non-breathers might actually exist, and maybe that's what the Urantia book is referring to. Unless, of course, we find life on a planet such as Ganymede or Callisto or Titan or what's that other? Uh, yeah, it's Europa. So Europa right now is our best bet, but it doesn't quite match the non-breather atmosphere aspects that the Urantia book points out. So it's only a matter of time before 
one of those answers becomes correct. And that's what's interesting about the Urantia book because it is a revelation and it is giving us a little bit of advanced information if we know how to interpret it. So is science catching up to the Urantia book? Well, only time will tell. But it is interesting. I'll tell you something else that's interesting. I was giving thought to this the other day and then I'll close out. But the um, it's an interesting situation that we have a building in Chicago with a phone number. And at the other end of that phone number are a group of people who represent and distribute the fifth epical revelation. There is no other phone number on the planet that will get you in touch with people who are completely conscious and aware of the fact that they have in their possession a revelation of such proportions that it's even compared to the life of Jesus, Adam and Eve, and Melchizedek, who introduced monotheism to Abraham. There's a phone number associated anybody can call from anywhere in the world, and they can talk to people who will tell them, yes, there is an epical revelation in our midst. And yes, we'll send you a copy. And I'll tell you something. I will buy your copy. If you, if you call the foundation, and I'll get their number here in just a second. If you call them and you say, hey, Jim called from the, the podcast, and I want a copy of the Arantia book. You send me an email, and I'll send them my credit card. Okay? I just, wanna, I just want you, I want to do something nice. If you have, don't have a copy of the Arantia book, and you want one, I want you to call the, the foundation. They're such great people. And you can ask them any question you want to about the book. And, and if you're interested in it, after talking to them, uh, say, well, Jim said, send me one. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Arantia Radio Podcast. Keep them coming. I'm, the, the list is growing. The audience is getting bigger. I'm going to have, I think, Albert Katzen's going to join me. We're going to talk about the eclipse, the upcoming solar eclipse that is occurring on Jesus' resurrection day. And it's interesting because seven years ago, there was another eclipse that occurred on Jesus' birthday. How's that for a coincidence? We'll see you next time. God bless. Cheers. Thanks for stopping by.